Welcome back to the Office Marketing Podcast with Mike Swigert. The podcast all about sales tips, mindset, and value bombs. Five questions to help make your day more productive and learn a thing or two. Here is your host, best-selling author, Mike Swigert. Everybody, thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. I have got a... I don't even, I don't even want to call you a lighting guru, Michael. I, I think <laughs> lighting, if anybody knows anything about commercial lighting, um, commercial lighting, they say 90, 90% of the people in the lighting business give the other 1% a bad name. And I think that's so true. So Michael, we're going to, um, we're going to talk a lot about lighting design, lighting procurement, um, those are really big things when it comes to this world. We're going to pull back the curtain on Oz a little bit, but we have got the, uh, the founder, chief innovation officer for ILC, which is Innovative Lighting Consultants. He's coming to us uh, from Colorado, but he services the whole country. And Michael is going to share his wisdom with us. We're going to talk a little. Um, we're going to talk a little lighting, and we might even mix in a little something about Celtics basketball. So, uh, <laughs> without further ado, Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I, hopefully, I'm part of the one percent and not the ninety-nine percent. That's what I'm striving for. Yes, yes, Michael, you wouldn't be on our show if you weren't a one percenter. So, that's, <laughs> uh, in so many ways, all right. So, um, hey, why don't you kind of walk us through? Um, your your days you know kind of coming up in in cambridge and heading to american and and how you ended up in this crazy crazy business yeah i mean i think you know a lot of probably entrepreneurs talk about how their her their childhood and how they came up kind of molded them to maybe how they got to starting their first business i think that's kind of true with myself as well so grew up in cambridge massachusetts anyone that knows cambridge knows it is uh, quite the liberal activist place. I mean, everyone's politically active there. Um, grew up pretty, pretty middle class there. Now it's like a tech hub in uh, pretty wild how, how rich people are there. Um, and then uh, went to American University in DC, studied film, photography, moved out to LA just after college after doing a little summer job of painting elementary schools and uh, moved out there with four guys, lived in a three bedroom, tried to make in the movie industry as a cameraman, uh, made it into the union, shot, went to places like Thailand for months and were in the jungles of Thailand filming a movie. Um, and then finally decided that I hated being in the movie industry. Okay, and I hated fair enough. The industry. Fair <laughs> enough. But you, but you, so you left a, an industry you hated into one of the most challenging, complicated, tumultuous industries ever. Somehow I ended up lighting, but how do we get there? Yeah, so then I was thinking, what, where do my skills actually transfer to? Like, I know how to, like, put a camera on something. I know how to light it, right? Um, where's the transfer? And then I met a guy in LA who was like, you should, uh, you should become a lighting designer. And I was like, oh, I know to light movie sets. Maybe I can just light buildings. And then there was a program started by an amazing lighting designer, Don Hollingsworth in LA at an architecture school and went there and worked at nights while you'll like this. I, I worked at the NFL network during the day. Excellent. did studio shows for the NFL network. It was awesome. Uh, best job ever. Just got to sit around and do like two hours of shooting and then otherwise just talk to like NFL players all day. Oh, cool. 
They probably yeah. they probably thought you were one of the guys, one of the players. I mean, they probably. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, six feet, one hundred and sixty pounds. I was yeah. playing cornerback. Or something. I get that all the time. Most people. <laughs> They're like obviously, obviously an athlete. <laughs> oh yeah, Warren Sapp, me and him, basically the same size. Absolutely, gotcha. So yeah, so did that, and then um, got a job at a lighting design firm. Then kind of moved around the lighting industry, just learning. I was a sales rep at a distribution company. Just like every time I went to another company, I was like wow, this process is so bad for everyone. Like everyone has like low margins. Everyone's fighting with each other. There's all these backdoor deals. You're like half your time at a distributor is just like on phone calls trying to make deals to make a job work and actually get it. Um, and so I just eventually kind of got to this point where I was like, why can't we all do this in a better way? And it was the idea, like I think I mentioned to you, it was like Uber looked at taxis and was saying, the customer just wants to get from A to B really easily. And, and, and what we did was really look at real estate developers just really want to get great design that is on budget that they don't have to deal with, right? They, most developers don't know anything about lighting. And they have a little bit of input, but they really, it's so complicated. And so they just want to know that they're trust that they're getting great design and say, oh, here's my $500,000 budget. Don't go for it. And so, so somehow, kind of somehow you're out. seeing, you're seeing it's a sideways, we use the term mafia, and it yep. is. And if any, anybody listening that knows me, I spent, you know, five years and plus in the lighting world. I've been part of those uh, backroom conversations <laughs> myself. Um, it's it's kind of how I was able to pay for my children to go to nice schools. Um, but um, but you're kind of again, you saw this as a challenge and you decided you wanted to start something to, to specifically address it. Yeah, when I started it, my partner came on about uh, eight months later. And when, when he came on, he was like, man, some people are going to really take out our knees if we really get going with this because it's a mafia, right? And um, what it was is what I, what I think is really interesting. And I think the people that really kind of innovate industries are almost the people that are uh, not so new that they understand all the existing processes, but not so uh, such a veteran of the industry that they're so stuck in them. I think I was kind of in this perfect sweet spot where I'd only been in, in, in the industry for like five years, kind of been on every side. It was like, wow, there's so much opportunity here to do it better. Um, and so really that's where it was kind of our, our mission to, to start trying to figure out how we could integrate design and procurement and not just say, here's our design, now we'll purchase it for you, but literally make it an integrated process so that the, the developer has a better experience and thinks, wow, I know design and budget and how they're affecting each other and have this really transparent process where I can make decisions based on granular data. You know, I have a 200 fans in this multifamily and they all cost $219. And do I care about that? Do I want to put my money more in the lobby? And they can, we basically kind of help them make those decisions with our expertise. I love that. I love the fact that you care. And, you know, because you come from the lighting design, you know, like I remember when I was on the lighting rep side, one of my favorite things to do was to work with a, a designer, an interior, someone that, that was like, oh, I want this space to be special. I want this, like when they come off the elevator, I want them to be like, ah, or when they walk into this conference room, I want it to be this or a, yeah. or a collaboration area. And they, I want it to be this, whether it be an artichoke light or, or just a certain combo of pendants. And they wanted to create this feeling. And I remember looking at them as the rep going like, say it was you. And I'd be like, Michael, okay, I know the space is important to you. The budget's getting squeezed. You know, like maybe we can't do 
you know, these indirect pendants and we need to look at this, but I want to keep your cafe the way it is. Right. And yeah. um, those are my favorite people to work with. Cause a lot of times you work with designers are like, yeah, just put whatever you want in there. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> like I want your stamp. Like I want your, your thumbprint to be on this design. Like this is you, this is your name. And um, there was a wonderful, wonderful designer. Um, and she worked at a company called DK, which is now part of Nelson. And every mm -hmm. time I worked with her, she was on the A team. Every time I worked with her and I got to do jobs with her, I was like, oh, she, this is going to be cool. And, and Michael, you'd appreciate this. She and I would talk forever about the effect of light, not necessarily just the fixture. And as I know, mm -hmm. as a lighting designer, I know you appreciate that. Like people that actually care that much, you want the job to stay pretty, don't you? Yeah. And I think it's also like, that's where I think lighting designers kind of have made somewhat of a bad wrap for us. Uh, every time we go in and we present to a developer say, well, we don't use lighting designers much. And I go, why? And they say, well, they're kind of expensive and they end up putting in the most expensive products that they really want. And then we end up having to VE it. And then it's basically like what happened to their design. I say, yeah, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Whole idea is what do you want? It has nothing to do with us. We're not, there's no ego here. It's about making the best design for what their vision is for the developers. And it, it really, because my partner and I are designers, the sales side is just logistics and project management, right? That's the easy side. It's about doing great design. And that's where like controlling the budget makes our designs way better because then we can try to make that $10 a square foot budget look like $15 a square foot by piecing together little things that no one even think about. Do we need this driver, this LED driver? Do we need this cheaper one? Cause that just saved us $20,000. Now we can do this cool thing in the lobby. No one else really thinks about that. And no one else really has that control to do yeah. it. And, and so that's the big thing. And when it comes to VE, really the only person that gets screwed on a VE is the person that writes the check. Like, yeah. right. Like you and I both know because any one of the subs, whether it be the rep, the distributor, or the electrician, they hear VE and they go, oh, sweet. I'm, I might get a new boat, right? Yeah. Or, or I'm going to pay for fuel <laughs> yeah. for my plane for, to take, you know, this. Because this. you're telling me to come down and now I'm going to come down this much, but actually charge you this much, right? I know. It drives That's me nuts. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I think we should call it devalue engineering, by the way. I think we should get rid of value engineering. I, and please, if you are a, uh, a designer and you're, whether, if, if you haven't been grizzled uh, or jaded in this industry, know that VE is, is a huge red flag. If you're trying to save money, make sure you have somebody that's not BSing you uh, yep. on the multiple trades. Because I know from furniture and, and, and lighting, VE regularly means someone, some contractor or some vendor on that job is kind of was waiting for you to say it because they're gonna, <laughs> their margin's going to go up and, and, yep. and someone's going to win and it's not going to be you. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll reduce the overall budget by 20%, but we just actually reduced our costs by 50%. So we just upped our margins by 30%. Yeah, exactly. And the distributing electrician now are excited because, Hey, cool. We just made an extra blank. Right. And some guys yep. are compensated on their, their margin percentages not even on their uh, on the gross revenue. So sometimes the sales guys are very incentivized to VE and increase the margin. And, and it's all that, that's the crap that happens in lighting and it drives me nuts. So what you're doing is, is you are helping the owner from the design perspective on the front end and then supporting yep. the project 
from the design all the way to punch? Am I, am I right by saying that, Michael? Are you taking it all, all the way to a year later, we get a call about some broken fixture. I mean, we are, you know, any developer that work, working with, it's a long-term relationship. We've been working with, you know, some big developers out here in Colorado for basically four years and it's project after project because now they don't, you know, hopefully they don't really understand how to do a project without us because we've created such a different process. And we're there, you know, the developers calling me on the phone and saying, hey, this fixture broke near the elevator and then we're, we're helping them with it. So it's, it's a lifetime kind of relationship. It's not, you know, walk away, I'm done in construction and stuff. And I think the other thing there is just kind of uh, making sure that we're not, we're not giving distributors and reps and contractors and everyone too much of bad names because there's been a system that's been built and their margins have been squeezed, right? right. And so they, they're trying to figure out how to make enough money to make a viable business. Oh, no, so we're there, not, there's we're not the, knocking them, right? They know. I mean, they, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but like, there's a bigger problem here. It, yes. It's not just like greed. The bigger problem is that if you keep on squeezing this part of the industry, something needs to happen, right? And in, in what happened with our industry is they said, well, then we're going to value engineer. We're going to mark up stuff more and give you a little worse product. Right. And you don't have the expertise to know, right? Right. I, 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 I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that the evolution of the buying process was due for someone like you. And, and you're not even that much of a disruptor because here's the thing is I can look at the players that touch lighting on a project, right? From the, um, the interior designer, right? The interior designer would love to work with you because, okay, cool. There's gonna be continuity and transparency throughout the pro process from design to you know, follow-up. If I am a distributor, I'm kind of like, all right, cool. I don't got a lot of shenanigans and BS to play. I know I'm going to make a fair margin. And you tell people, am, am I right, Michael? You kind of tell people, you tell the owners, hey, I'm not trying to squeeze people's margins. Let's, these are fair margins. And yep. we don't tell them what their margin is, but you know, these are reasonable margins for the distributor, for the lighting rep, for the contractor, for the electrician. But if everybody hears what I'm saying, those are four, those are four markups. And if everybody marks up 5% too much, that's not just 20%. That might actually be more like 30 or 32% on your overall cost. I mean, if you think about it, by the time, uh, you know, uh, a manufacturer, say a white goods, that's just coming straight from China. Let's be honest, most of the white goods, right? The white goods are coming straight from China. Manufacturers marking up 60%, then a rep's marking it up 15 to 20, then a distributor's marking it up 20, then a contractor's marking up 15. That developer is paying about 150 15 percent before it touches their door and that's not a gc is probably marking another five for managing um and so that's a huge amount of markup uh for something that's commodity you know commodity grade that the developer if they really want to could probably go source it themselves from china mm -hmm. um so it's just it's something to think about where we just gotta balance what people are making based on scope right based on what they're actually providing right. and value and that's what i think we need to go towards is you get paid based on your value in the process, not you get paid on time, which is another big conversation we can have another time. But I think the time-based design is a really terrible concept for both sides. Neither side win, the real estate developer or the designer, because the designer is trying to, trying to design the lowest amount of minutes per hour, right? Mm. And then the developer is trying to squeeze them. So then they're, they're trying to do that kind of lowest amount of minutes at the high, highest margin. So it's kind of this, that's also a bad way to do it, but same thing on kind of the 
the markup side. It's yeah. what value we're providing for that markup. I, I like that, Michael. Um, I see the value. I actually love the distributors. I think distributors have great value. It's kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier when it comes to, I mean, they're inventorying, they're taking a risk, they're putting stuff on the shelves, mm -hmm. right? And they're the bank. So mm -hmm. if somebody's thinking about lighting on a project, the distributors should, they've earned, you know, they got bricks and mortar, they've invested, they've got that. I think the distributors are going to make it. I think we're going to see reps kind of get squeezed out a little bit over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Um, we're going to see a lot more direct manufacturer distributor. We're going to see that blend more. We're already seeing it in furniture. We're starting to see it in other in other disciplines. It's fascinating to see it. And your model is valuable to the distributor. I think it is still valuable to the rep. You're definitely valuable to the designer. You're super valued to project managers and to owners, reps and owners. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm glad to have you on the podcast because more people need to know about you. They really do. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean... It I think what it is, well, one, we're, I don't, uh, it, I think that's the thing is that reps were helpful. You know, we're, we're doing full specification. They're not just getting like that random email with, Hey, I need this. It's very, you know, structured. We're doing all of our own calcs. So they, they have very little work for us. And then contractor side, like I mentioned kind of before the podcast was we're, we're doing a lot of the project management mm. for them and we're, they're not having to VE, they're not having to send out for bids. They're not having to requote stuff. We're telling them a change order and how much it costs. Um, so there's a lot less work for electrical contractors and hopefully that makes them happy to kind of have this different process for them. I love it. I love it. I think, um, obviously I'm a huge fanboy of what you're doing. I think, um, I, I am. We'll and, get you a t-shirt. I have, well, I have to be a, um, by the way, just so everybody knows, uh, Michael is not a client of mine. Michael has not paid anything to be on the podcast. I just love no. his story. I love his vision. I love his, his model that he's put together to share with an industry. You're solving a problem, man. Like you really are. You're solving a problem that needs to be solved. And I love it. I really do. I love it. No, it's, uh, I appreciate the, the fandom. Yeah. And uh, I think the other piece of this is really just like. This episode of the Office Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Fusion Advisory. We help commercial contractors generate leads online profitably. Check us out at fusion-advisory.com. Our industry has been so stubborn with technology, right? And not being innovative. And maybe it's a result of having a low margin industry, right? If you have low margins, how do you have the margin to be innovative unless you're really scrappy and really kind of just pushing innovation, even though you know, might not have the margins to do it. So with that, we've built so much technology that makes our model possible. If you try to do what we did, the labor intensiveness of it without the software we built would be pretty much you would never make money. And so without all the automation we built, it'd be really difficult. And I think that's really where our industry really needs to move is towards this kind of more innovative approach to technology, to processes, okay. and not just if these reps and distributors and everyone don't want to get disrupted, sitting around and, and thinking that your model is still going to be okay in 10 years is probably not the best move. <laughs> oh, no, I, I've, I, there was a, who was it? It was one of the big consulting firms came out and they said, basically what we thought was going to take five years in technology evolution happened in the last 12 months. Wow. That was one of the things, you know, like if you think about what accelerates technology, mm -hmm. right? What, what really accelerates technology, right? Whether it be trying to put a man on the moon uh, or war um, and there was a war 
on a virus over the last, you know, 14 yep. months. Um, the numbers, um, I think the last numbers that came out, we spent uh, adjusted for inflation. We spent twice as much money battling coronavirus than we did in all of World War II. So, I mean, we have really put, I'm not getting political, I'm not getting, yeah. <laughs> but we have put, I mean, we put our hammer down on this thing and, and we've invested a lot into this last war. And that is, you know, mm -hmm. really pushing, you know, technology to be adapted uh, much faster. I mean, think about it, like 15 months ago, it, it, the concept of how many people really knew how to do a video conference, right? I mean, in our industry, probably not that many. <laughs> oh, you'll, right. you'll appreciate but, this. About 13 years ago, maybe maybe 10 years, maybe 10 to 13 years ago, I'm doing a project and actually, so I'm, I'm repping GE lighting and I'm in a GE building and they're doing a telepresence room. Have you ever done, have you ever been part of a telepresence room? No, kind of, is that different of, from like a conference room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but there were these great, yeah. there's basically what we're doing right now, but you would put like eight or 12 people in a room and gotcha. they have these great screens and you'd be able to look to your left or right and hey, Michael this and Michael that, right? Basically what we're doing right now, but you would spend hundreds of thousands and AT&T and Cisco were, had all the technology on these telepresence mm -hmm. rooms and I did the lighting for a bunch of them. And um, so I get called out to a job and um, a dear, uh, the project manager, a dear friend of mine, he's like, Mike, your team totally messed up. Like your team couldn't have screwed up anymore on the lighting of this telepresence room. It's just crap. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'll be right out there. And what's funny is this guy was a young project manager for CBRE. He now is like the director of interior construction <laughs> all over the whole Southeast. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. So Love anyway. It. So I go out on this job site and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's horrible. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know how we missed the ball by so much. So I go up and I get up into the ceiling and I'm like, you know, these aren't my fixtures. And then I start going, well, and this is before LED, right? So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm designing it basically with like a T5 HO. Well, they had, G they had VE'd it down to like a standard T8. So now I've got T8 two by twos up in the ceiling. And it was designed to have this very specific T5 HO. And then they cut the number of fixtures down in half. So if you know anything about the telepresence, your vertical foot candles were critical because you mm -hmm. had all of these cameras and the cameras weren't nearly as good as even the cameras you and I are talking on right now. Yep. Here's the kicker. So it's in a GE building and they had put non-GE fixtures and non-GE ballasts and non-GE lamps in this. And I went to the project manager and I looked and I said, look, I'm really sorry. I said, look, once the it, the spec was written, we assumed this was all us, but the electrician just went and bought stuff off the shelf and didn't follow this and he just did it. And needless to say, within 24 hours, I paid for it, right? We didn't even sell the lights. We went and got them lights. We doubled the number of lights up in the ceiling. We left the T8s in there. We bumped in with T5s, had the whole thing lit. And within 24, we went and got stuff off the shelf that was there and, and lit it up. Now, needless to say, that project manager is still a great friend of mine. He'll never forget what we did. But um, that's the that's one of the problems you fix, though, isn't it, Michael? Like, you keep that from happening. I mean, honestly, that's what probably my uh, my partner, one of his biggest selling points when he talks about it is, is this idea that that's part of the game that we talked about, right? Is, is make it so that you're over budget 
so that then someone else can come and swoop in and kind of put in their package out of nowhere that has higher margin, let costs less. But it's also, it, I think it's part of the kind of the game of how contractors can can make a viable business. Again, back to like, we have a bigger industry problem than one company at a time kind of being greedy and that they have to make their money on change orders and on kind of at the last moment going to Home Depot and marking it up 40%. And that's exactly what happened on your project. I said, well, I could put in these GE fixtures, but I could also go grab these that look exactly the same and I can make 30% more. And so it's really a bigger industry problem because again, it's the owner, it's the developer. They don't get anything they want. They, they're, they're basically getting 20 cents on the dollar right now mm -hmm. uh, with most of the industry because they have no power, even though they're the ones writing everyone the checks. It's kind of amazing, honestly. They're the ones with millions of dollars in buildings, billions of dollars, and uh, they're and they have no power to really control something like lighting on their job. Well, I love talking lighting. I'll have you back on in like twelve months, <laughs> and we can have like a state of the lighting world conversation. And um, I'm, I, I do love lighting. I love the the effect of light. I love the. Uh, the the, how much it impacts the mood of a space, just the color of light, the the CRI, like the feel of a space, you know, you can really make such a big difference and, and not even getting into like a circadian rhythm, which I know is super hot right now. But. And I, and I think like a big thing with, you know, as you're talking about design and loving it, it's like, we've created such a low uh, bar for, for lighting design in terms of like probably less than 1% of the projects the world have a lighting designer, but probably 80% of them need one. And so we've set this really low bar that bad lighting is okay. And part of it's been all of this stuff we've talked about with politics and things over budget and lighting designers being expensive and their designs just getting feed the death. So what's the point of hiring them? Okay. Yes. It, they're going to call yeah. you, Michael. People are going to listen. <laughs> they're going to call you. They know they get, they get to have their it's more. Um, I'm, I, I just want, I want everyone to like, I get start it. this kind of movement. ILC will do great. Right. Michael, but. if there is a designer listening, they're going to think, Holy crap. I get to, have a lightning designer and hold budget throughout the entire thing. I don't have to talk. Hey, believe me, you're good, brother. You you have a great model. <laughs> it's going to be just fine. All right. So uh, let's talk about you. You are a, um, a Celtics fan. Um, if you had to pick, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a little biased because I'm 10 years older than you, but um, you had to pick your best starting five. I'm, I should have warned oh, you. Wow. I know. So, yeah. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to ask you to name the coach because we know who the coach is going to be, but we're going to say you only get five, right? You get to throw five out there and they didn't have to be a C for long, a, a, a Boston Celtic. Um, yep. which five are you throwing out there? So if they don't have to be a Celtic for long, I think it's gotta be, you gotta put bird at the small forward, right? So that you can put KG there at the power go. forward. So I think you got to do that. That's because KG. KG, yeah, even he just got into the Hall of Fame. It was like his his thing when he was giving a speech was, I wish I went to the Celtics earlier. I made a mistake, he said. Yeah, I, I a think real you stab in the Timberwolves. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, by the way, when, when KG would come to Atlanta, I would literally go see the T-Wolves just because KG was playing. But go ahead. All right, so now I we mean, got but, you're pretty solid. You you got small. Your your three and four are spectacular. Like you, you're Hall solid. Hall of Fame. Yeah. We're, yeah. And, and then I think you got to put Paul Pierce at, at the two 
because I mean he's gonna be in the Hall of Fame as well. You, you, if you remember Reggie Lewis, he was probably up there at his time. But Paul Pierce was he was pretty darn clutch. Great call. Um, Great call. I'm also probably a little bit biased because I was so young in the '80s. But I think then, I mean, it's tough. Can can I put McHale at the center, even though he didn't really play center? Yeah. Well, in today's game, he could play. He could play the center just fine. Yeah, so then McHale, I think, has to be center. Also, you know, uh, one of the best. You're not gonna put the chief power forwards. I think you want McHale over him. But yeah, yeah. and then I don't know. Point guards. We've never had like an amazing point guard. I'm trying to think of. I definitely will not put Kyrie Irving there. I tell you that that was a disaster of a. I saw Kyrie picked over Trey Young on a uh, on a like All NBA team this year, and I'm kind. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I like Trey Young, and I saw Kyrie picked over him, and I'm like. You don't know. Trey Young's so good. He's just not on TV as much, but man, Trey Young is spectacular. Can I can I pick one year of a player? Because then I would pick uh, I forget what year, but 2015 of Isaiah Thomas. The one year when he was like almost MVP at five foot nine. Wait, but Isaiah only played for the Detroit, right? Did Isaiah ever no other Isaiah Thomas? Oh, the other I'm like, oh, the yeah, other yeah. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other Isaiah. I mean, he, the one year of Isaiah Thomas on the Celtics, he was he had he had like the most fourth quarter points in the whole league that year. Oh yeah, that's that's clutch time. That's clutch time. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what. You're uh, you're building a company that takes care of people from uh, the tip off all the way to the fourth quarter. So <laughs> I appreciate what you're doing, Michael. Hey, Love if it. people want to get in touch with you, um, obviously your LinkedIn is fantastic. People can reach you on LinkedIn. Any other way that you would like people to reach out to you? I think LinkedIn's the one that I really follow. I'm not the biggest on social media than LinkedIn, and I think you know, kind of drop I mentioned to you, but we've got a got a really cool software com- co- company uh, that I've started that we're still still in stealth mode, as you said, but hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll be coming out of that. And I think the the distributors and reps and manufacturers of uh, the construction industry are gonna be pretty excited. We're gonna we're get doing. you on. Hey, you know what? I'll have you back on in a couple months and we'll just talk about that because you teased me on Let's it. Do it. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that too. So, um, and you know, I we can it. see how the Celtics did if they win the, the, the play in game tonight. Yeah. I mean, there's no way if they ever have to, you know, play the Hawks. I mean, no, I mean, obviously these guys are unstoppable. I can't see anybody other than uh, Brooklyn, LA and 14 other teams, you know, being able to beat my Giannis, his own one man team. Milwaukee is pretty good. So, (laughs) all right, right, brother. Hey, Michael, again, thanks a lot. Really enjoyed our time together and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. Be sure to join the conversation on our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.